I'm headed to the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia to meet with its librarian, Patrick Spiro. He studies documents dating back to the time of the country's founding. What you're looking at here is one of the first printings of the Declaration of Independence. The first section is the preamble. Yeah. And this is where they talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the idea is that individuals should be free to do these things, and government is constituted to protect those freedoms. freedoms. And what the king has done is broken that contract, broken that trust. And so they have to be freed from the king in order to be free to do what they want. Now, can you say that this was the first time a group of people decided that they wanted to be free to do whatever the heck they wanted to do? <laughs> well, I think it's uh, the first time that it was ever written in an official way. Well, happy 4th of July, everyone. I am so glad that you are here this evening. My name is Michael. I'm a pastoral intern here at Hope. So yes, thank you for exercising that freedom you have to be here. Today, people across our country are celebrating our nation's independence. On this day, over 200 years ago, we declared our freedom from the King of England. And as we saw in that opening clip, this freedom was what the writers of the Declaration of Independence were seeking after. They didn't want to just do whatever they wanted. They were seeking after three important things, lifting up life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that middle word there, liberty, that's freedom from oppression. When that thing starts pushing down on you, when something starts preventing you from being able to do those other two pieces, to live and to pursue happiness, when that happens, all that seems left to do is to seek out a freedom from whatever is causing you to experience that oppression. And so today, we're going to keep coming back to that word, freedom. We're going to keep talking about what freedom means. Not only freedom in the, de the Declaration of Independence, but for us as Christians, it goes beyond that. And it's a reminder for us all why we are truly set free. Now, we are already at the end of this two-week series of Give Me a Break. It seems like it's already flown by because it was only two weeks, last week and this week. And I think it's good that we are in this series right now talking about giving me a break because June is already in the rearview mirror. Well, yes, we, as it said in Hope 360, we are still at the front end of summer. VBS starts to mark that middle point of summer. And then after VBS comes Taste of Hope. And then we're going to start back to school drives and start thinking about the fall. And then after fall comes Christmas and then Easter. And then it seems like we're back at summer again already. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, it's a good reminder, yes, to give ourselves a break. To slow down. To pause. And to relax. And to remember what this freedom as Christians is all about Fourth of July for me is one of my favorite holidays because of all the memories I have from this time. It is interesting, though, that we sometimes forget to slow down and remember the times and the places and the people that brought us joy and love. But whenever we take that time to slow down and to reflect on those memories, it always seems like time well spent. 
So growing up on the 4th of July, all of my family would gather together at my grandparents' cabin. My cousins, my aunts and uncles, my parents, my sister, we would all be there celebrating together. We would go swimming, go canoeing, go exploring in the woods, have scavenger hunts. Sometimes we would even have our own mini parade around the lawn, dressing up and marching to John Philip Sousa. But one of the highlights of those times was when we gathered around food. We would sing Johnny Appleseed, and then we would get ready to prepare ourselves for a feast. My grandpa, early in the morning, would get up and start grilling a ham, and then everyone would bring a side to share. There would be baked beans, there would be potato salad, there would be a pasta salad, there would be a bean salad. There would never be a lettuce salad, though. But for whatever reason, we would just be filled to the brim. We would go through the line, grab our food. Our cousins, usually, if the weather was nice, we'd go outside, sit at a picnic table together, laughing and sharing in memories. The aunts and uncles would sit together inside, reminiscing about their past and growing up as well. And once everyone had a chance to go through seconds or maybe even third helpings of that main course, our aunts and uncles would get up, clear that entire serving table off, and then fill it again with desserts. Mounds and mounds of delicious desserts because my grandma believed that there was always room for dessert. Amen. Thank you. Yes, there is always room for dessert. But we can forget these memories or whatever memories you might have when we don't take the time to slow down and recall them. We can forget also about this amazing freedom that we have. All of these pieces that have led to this moment we are in the ones in our life that we love to see, the people and places that meant a lot to us. We have the freedom to experience these things. And so I hope that you've had a chance to give yourself a break, to slow down and enjoy all the amazing things in our lives. Because we are surrounded by people who we love and want to love us in these moments. So I loved going to the cabin for the 4th of July, and it wasn't something like I ever felt like I had to do. I was excited to see my cousins play games, laugh hilariously at the jokes my younger cousin would try to tell that honestly weren't funny, but he was just so committed to the bit that that made it funny, that he just wanted us to laugh so hard. But as we got older, sometimes we forget to take the time to remember these times, or even to be together. That's happened with us and our family. Our families have started to spread out more. We're no longer located here just around Minnesota and and Iowa where it's harder to come together. We've spread out across the country and even across the globe. These families' gatherings are getting smaller and smaller every year. It's hard sometimes to be together, to give ourselves that break, to be with one another. Sometimes we forget also what this freedom is all about. We start taking it for granted or we can start forgetting about it completely. When we forget about that freedom, though, and the love and joy that comes from being free together and sharing in that love and time together with one another, there can be some pretty harsh consequences. And that is one of the issues that Paul was dealing with here in his letter to the Galatians, which is why he was lifting up this freedom. Freedom is something that has been talked about and strived for since as long as there have been people being oppressed. While the writers of the Declaration of Independence might have been the ones to first gather as a group and write this down and declare their independence from something that was oppressing them, people have been wrestling with what freedom means for a long time before then. For freedom takes a lot of work. It's one thing just to declare your freedom, but that's not all it is. There's more to it than that. It is easy to forget and potentially just start taking it as a given when we seem like we're surrounded by it. So Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, was pulling from all of his history, too, in order to help those in Galatia work through this. 
So this freedom from oppression, freedom from having something that was sucking the life out of, our, out of you is part of our history. And we can find that in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. For when the Israelites were in Egypt, we get this story in Exodus of how the Pharaoh at that time had forgotten about why the Israelites were there, that Joseph had helped them prepare for seven years of famine, and that's why all the people had gathered in this space together. But the Pharaoh of this time had forgotten that, had forgotten why they were loving and being a part of this community together. So he started to set rules and laws in place out of fear for what the Israelites might become, that they might overrun them all in Egypt. And he enslaved them. And so the Israelites began to cry out to to God. And God heard this. So that's why he sent Moses to literally tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses was trying to bring that freedom to the Israelites. But even after the Israelites were eventually freed from Egypt and they were in the wilderness, they immediately had forgotten about that freedom and started grumbling amongst themselves and thinking, maybe it was better in Egypt when we were enslaved. Maybe it was better and we forget about the purpose and the joy that can come from this freedom. And they started to drift away from what was truly being called of them. And so then Moses goes up on the mountain and gets these Ten Commandments. And when he brings them down, it's not for them to have these boundaries and these strict rules in order to be closer to God. But rather, it was setting up a way of life for them with God as the foundation in order to better love God and to love one another. But then over time, people started adding on to these rules. First, starting with God as their foundation. But then they started to lift those rules up over loving God and being in the presence of God. And because of that, they started to drift away, not only from God, but from one another. They started to believe that you had to follow all of these rules in order to experience God's presence. And if you didn't, you would be considered less than. And then when Jesus came onto the scene, Jesus was working with the Pharisees and his disciples and the Jewish leaders and all the people of that time, trying to help them see that they were lifting up the law above being with God. They were starting to worship the law as a God, as their own idol. Loving the law of Moses was becoming more important than loving God. But loving God is what is important, and from that can flow the loving of our neighbors as ourselves. But even after Christ's death and resurrection, as these followers of Christ were starting to come together more and more and organize together around being known as followers of Christ as Lord and Savior, They were struggling with what to do with this newfound and rediscovered freedom and what that meant for them in these communities. For a lot of these churches were being formed around those that were already Jewish and practiced and followed Jewish customs and laws, including the ways in which food was to be prepared and handled. They had laws and rules that were already a part of their lives, and they wanted to still follow those rules as they lived into being these new followers of Christ. And overall, there wasn't an issue with that. It was a part of their heritage. It was helping them remember all these pieces, recalling these memories of love and times that they were a part of a larger community. So there was nothing saying that they should or shouldn't do those things to continue following Christ. The issue arose, though, with those that weren't Jewish but started to become followers of Christ. These non-Jewish believers, these Gentiles, were getting excited and enticed by this new way of life. People were living joyfully into this freedom and still showing love, compassion, and care for their neighbor. These Gentiles were getting excited and wanting to know what was this all about. They wanted to be a part of this joyful experience. And they were realizing that these people that were living as followers of Christ were doing these loving acts not because they had to, but just because they got to do it. 
So these Gentiles wanted to start coming along and discovering more about who Christ was as well. So in this area of Galatia, these churches were starting to figure out what to do, and they decided that they were going to lift up laws and make separations between those that were following the Jewish customs at the time and those that were not following the Jewish customs, that didn't know about that. They, those that had a Jewish upbringing and those that were Gentiles. And that made Paul furious about that. We can tell that from the way in his letter that he opened up to the Galatians. Yes, it started off with a normal salutation. The first five verses of Galatians is Paul just describing who he is, calling himself an apostle of Christ, here to spread out the good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection to everyone. Usually after that, Paul would give some form of thanksgiving for the churches, lifting up the things that they were doing well. Yes, he eventually was going to get to things that they could improve upon and remind them of that. For the vast majority of these churches, there were things that could be better. They were a work in progress. Just like we are today, we are still a work in progress. Not quite there yet. Those churches were still figuring out how to best live in their own context, like we are today, because the world is changing, and it's a messy place. And so this work gets messy. But before getting those things to work on the churches of the day, Paul usually would lift up something that was going right. Here, though, in his letter to the Galatians, he jumps right in and says that he is shocked. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away from the Son of God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. He is shocked, astonished, and appalled that they are turning away from this so soon. As new people are starting to come to them, they're wanting to put rules in place to make separations and saying you have to do X, Y, or Z before you can be considered a Christian. They're lifting up the law once again over their faith in Christ. They are forgetting what is truly important here, that Christ came and died for everyone and that faith is what sets everyone free. That is the most important thing, not those laws Those laws can be good. Those laws can help you to be in close relationship with God, but they are not required to bring you into that close relationship with God. So that is what Paul is lifting up and reminding them, that they have first been called to live into this freedom. And that is what still is important for us today too. Sometimes we can get so focused on the laws and the rules or potentially a to-do list that we forget about this freedom. And when others start forcing us to forget about that freedom, that's where problems can arise. And that's also what was going on with the Declaration of Independence. The laws and rules that were put in place became so oppressive for the colonists that they felt there was nothing left to do but to cry out and declare their freedom from this oppression. It wasn't the first thing they went to, but it was the last option they felt they were left with. Freedom, though, when it becomes ever-present, can be easy to forget about, to be easy to take it for granted, until something comes along and makes our life more difficult or hard, and then we are forced to pause, to take that break, and to remind ourselves of this freedom we have in Christ. Now, after Paul wrote these letters to the Galatians and all the other early churches of the day, it's not like everyone figured it out immediately on how to live and lifting up Christ over the law and living into this freedom. We still struggle with that today. But between Paul's letters and, and today, there existed a man by the name of Martin Luther, In the 1500s, he was wrestling with this as well. He was talking about what it meant to be free as a Christian. At that point in the time, the church was starting to lift up rules, enforcing restrictions upon people and determining ways in which people could or could not be considered a Christian. Now once again, rules can be good. It can help build relationships and start to establish some trust. So Luther was exploring what those rules meant and how to live into these rules, not as a primary piece, but still as a way of life. 
He was writing letters to folks, including the Pope, to explain himself in hopes of reforming the way in which the church was leading. The rules began, he saw, were taking people away from this loving relationship of one another and with God. He felt like they were pulling them apart from one another and not doing things out of love. And so he wanted to lift up that this was something nothing, that, something that none of us can ever earn. So one of his letters that he wrote actually goes into depth in this, and it was called Freedom of a Christian. And near the beginning of that letter, he has two statements that help define this freedom that Christians have. The first statement is that a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. So remember, this was written in the 1500s, so some of the, those, those words are a little bit weird for us, Lord and subject. But what he's saying here is, yes, a Christian is perfectly free and subject to no one. There is no king, no one else that can lord it over you, nothing that can be taken away from you. You are free as a Christian, subject to no one. Nothing we do is ever going to change that. No one can ever take that freedom away. But it can, it can be easy for us to fall away from this understanding, though, into some pretty significant ditches. On one side is a ditch of guilt and shame. On that side, we can feel like we need to do this work, and we need to work hard to achieve this freedom, this gift from Christ. And if we don't work hard, we won't merit it, or we won't deserve this freedom that we get from Christ. But we forget that, we, that this only truly comes from Christ. And so when someone asks a guilt or shame-filled Christian to do something, they end up doing it only out of that guilt and eventually do things only begrudgingly. They don't know how to say no because they feel like they have to say yes to everything that's asked of them. And so we can shackle ourselves and close ourselves off from this freedom that we get as Christians when we do things out of worry that God might start loving us less if we don't do these things. This fear and anxiety continue to creep in in ourselves and make us feel like we need to do more because we might not ever measure up. Well, to be honest with you, we're never going to measure up. If we take all the good things that we do, put them against all the bad things we've done in our lives or the things that we wish we could change, and then compare that to all the amazing things God has done for us and continues to do for us, they'll never be equal. We'll always be wanting in that area. But the good news is that this is a gift freely given to all of us. Whether we deserve it or not, it is given to us. So no one can take that away from you either. But if we try to do things out of that shame or guilt, it can start to spiral in on itself and lead us down to thinking less of ourselves or focusing in on the things that we only did wrong instead of thinking about the things we did right. Or we start to lie to ourselves and saying, maybe if I just do enough good things, God's only going to focus on those things and not care about the rest of my life. But God wants to be in relationship with all of you, to be with you fully present as just as you are. But the reality is that we will always be enough. Even when we wonder, are we enough? Can we do enough? Is God going to love us enough? The reality is that yes, you are always enough. We will always be enough for God's love. It is just through faith, and only through faith though, that we are enough. Nothing we can do or not do is going to change that. No good deed will matter for this love. Good deeds are good, and they are important, and we'll talk more about that here in a minute but it has nothing to do with the love that we get to receive from Christ that sets us free. So we don't have to be afraid, ashamed, or guilty. When we do, we miss the point of freedom that we get to delight in to do those good works. Now on the other side of this is another ditch, and that ditch is pride. 
when we do these good works out of pride, it's because we start to think it's going to lift ourselves up, that we get to show ourselves off because of how good we are at following these rules or doing things for our neighbor that makes us better than others. The Pharisees of Jesus' time were struggling with this because they were trying to follow all the letters of the law perfectly and thought that that made them better than other followers of God at the time. But when we think we finally merited this, we get this because of how amazing we are. We're missing the point. Because nothing we do or don't do on the shame or guilt side is going to make God love you less. On this side of pride, though, nothing you do or don't do is going to make God love you more. Let me say that again. Nothing you do will make God love you more or less. So yes, on that shame side, we're worried potentially about God loving us less, but nothing could be further from the truth. God will never love you less. But on this pride side, sometimes we think like if we do just enough, we can achieve a little bit more love from God. But God can't love us more because the love that God has for us is already unconditional on both sides of that. For if God could love us less if we started to mess up or did things only out of shame and guilt, that would be strings attached to it and we would start missing out on pieces of the love from God. But the flip side of that is true too because if we could get more love from God just by doing good things, if, we, if God would love us more because of those things, there would be conditions started, starting to be attached to that. We would start putting rules in place to try to achieve more so God could love us just a little bit more. But God loves us enough as it is. This love sometimes seems hard for us to imagine because its quantity is unquantifiable. It doesn't change. It's so expansive. It doesn't go up or down. And it is freely given to each and every one of us so that we can experience that love through faith. Now, for me personally, this side of love is hard. Of God not loving me more because of the work I do is something I struggle with. For I know I make, on the side of shame, I know I make mistakes. I fall flat on my face. I don't always do the things I should. Maybe I don't always give my best all the time. And in those moments, I know I should ask for forgiveness, and I do ask for forgiveness from God and from those that I've um, wronged. But at the end of the day, I know that God will not love me less, and I can rest easy in that. But on the flip side of that, on the pride side, sometimes I, I trick myself, and I start to believe that, yes, if only I did a little bit more, if only I worked a little bit harder, if only I put in a few more hours, that's going to make God love me a little bit more, and that way I can stand out ahead of the crowd something I wrestle with because that pride can get in the way then. But this is the love that is enough for all of us just the way it is. When, when that becomes our driving force, though, to try to be better than all of those around us, that in itself can be its own shackle as well. And when it can, we miss out on that love from God. So God is not going to love you more because the love God has for you is already more than enough. It is through faith that we get that love. So it's not through anything we say, it's not through anything we do. It's not about any of those things. So no one can boast about the love and their freedom that we get from Christ. I mean, you could boast about it, but everyone else gets to boast about it as well. So it could just be a huge boasting party about like, woohoo, we all have this freedom. And it is a good thing. It is something to be delighted and excited about. And if someone ever tries to tell you differently, though, if someone says there are certain things you need to do before you are allowed to be a Christian or before you're allowed to get the love of God or deserve the love of God, if people start giving you a checklist of things to do, to, ways to behave before you can actually belong, prerequisites for God's love, saying there are certain things potentially that you can't eat or there's only one right way to pray or there's only a certain time of day that you can best connect with God and if you don't do it, you miss out, please run. Turn and bolt in the opposite direction from those people because that is not healthy, nor is that helpful. And it's not true. 
because God loves you and nothing is going to change that. And that is what Paul is lifting up here in his text to the Galatians in the message that we heard from Pastor Richard. For he's saying, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. He's lifting that up here. We are all called to live into this freedom in Christ. And our faith is what sets us free to delight in this and live in that way. However, Paul goes on and says that this freedom is not just for ourselves. It's not just something that we get to fulfill our own wants and desires. When the people wrote the Declaration of Independence, it wasn't just so they could do whatever they want. They were focused in on certain things to make sure that this freedom was for everyone. And so that Paul goes on to say, yes, this is an amazing thing. This freedom that we get through Christ is amazing. But the hope here is that it doesn't just become personally for you. Yes, it is good to build upon your personal relationship with Christ, to grow in that love between you and Christ, to understand the deep mysteries and wonders of that. But freedom is not just so we can do whatever we want and focus just on ourselves. And Luther covers this as well in his second statement when he says, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So it's the exact opposite almost of what he said before. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So this explains highlighting why we do the works we do. We don't do the works we do because it's going to get more love from God or it's going to free us more. Rather, we do these things out of love. We all do something in our lives. You all literally did something just by being here. And when we neglect that love, though, when we start focusing in on different things, when we start focusing in on the laws or what's going to make me better or worse than someone else, it starts to have disastrous results. Or if we say, I have this freedom, so oh well, Christ set me free so I can do whatever the heck I want, we're missing out on a huge piece of what this freedom can mean for all of us. This freedom from Christ does not change the love that Christ has for you, but that freedom does change your neighbor. It impacts those around you. All of the things we do have an impact on ourselves as well as those around us and our world. And God is calling us to care for people around us, to reach out to all of them and help them realize that they too are free. That freedom we get through this faith is not in question. This freedom is for everyone. It won't run out. Just because someone else gets to experience this freedom for the first time in Christ doesn't mean you get less freedom. Just because someone else finally for the first time realizes that God loves them just the way they are, no matter what, no strings attached, doesn't take away the love that God has for you. It never is going to run out. And in sharing in that freedom, all it does is impact that person and helps them grow and realize that they are truly set free. And we get to live out of this love. And that love turns toward doing good deeds for our neighbors all around us. And when we do this, we can humble ourselves as servants before them. When we can remove those ditches of being guilt-ridden or pride-filled, and instead just delight in that freedom that we get through faith alone. All that, left, all that is left is humility. This is an amazing gift. This free gift that we're given that we never will deserve and yet we are given it anyways. That is wonderful. It sets us free to do even more because you and I are already enough. No matter what, God is going to be there. God will always love you. God will never abandon you. And with God's love, we are all enough. And that is a message worth sharing with everyone and living that out for those around us, that they are also enough too. For if we don't share in this love, as Paul goes later on to mention in Galatians, we will be devoured and consumed by this and bring about our own destruction. Sharing in love through our neighbor, knowing that we are freed through our faith and not by any law or rule, allows us to develop a deeper level of trust 
not only with one another, but with God. It shows that we have compassion for one another, and it allows us to develop this trust not by putting rules in place and things that we have to do, but we do it simply because we have that love for our neighbor that we get to freely share. But when we stop caring for one another or showing that love to our neighbor and, um, and only focusing in on ourselves and our own freedom, or we try to exert more power on someone because we're worried about losing our own freedom, it erodes the trust others have, but it also erodes our trust in Christ because that is a gift that never will run out. When we instead share in this love, when we turn towards one another out of humility, not out of shame or pride, we can do incredible things for one another. And so we can hold on to that trust that we are surrounded by a community who is doing the same for us as well. That we can trust that others will care for us out of their compassion and love as well because they are set free to do these things out of love. We don't need to have rules in place to do those things if we truly live in this freedom from Christ. Because we all need that love from our neighbor. We all will need someone to pick us up at some point in our lives to experience that love and to be reminded that we are not in this alone. So we don't have to fall into these ditches. We just get to share in that love with everyone. But sometimes we need to slow down, though, to take our own break and remember to enjoy this freedom so that we can feel the encouragement and strength to continue loving others. As Christians, we do not live for ourselves, but in Christ and in our neighbor we live. It is in Christ through faith and in our neighbors through love that we get to live. And by love, we descend beneath ourselves and into our neighbors to lift them up so we all rise up together. And then when we pause to renew ourselves, when we take this break to recharge our batteries, to regain energy and strength, we can do so freely, not worried that God might be ashamed or hurt that we're taking this break, but rather God wants us to take these breaks, to be with him, to experience him more fully, and to feel his presence more often in our lives. So potentially for you, you already have practices in your life where you experience God, where you take time to slow down, where you take breaks in the rhythms of your life to do that, whether that's a devotion or a prayer or maybe just spending time in nature to be a part of God's glorious creation. Whatever that is, I encourage you to keep doing that. But if something's not working for you anymore, it's okay to switch it and change it. There's no one right way to pray. There's no one right way to connect with God. Each of us gets to develop that relationship with God in our own ways. We are free to do that. And today, potentially, if you're struggling right now and you don't even know where to start and you're just like, I would love someone to pray for me. I want someone to reach out and pray with me or pray for me. I want you to know that after the service, there will be prayer partners located on either side. Someone will be there to pray with you or pray for you about anything that is going on in your life. And one way that we can take time to slow down is literally in having meals. We force ourselves to take that break when we all come together and gather around a meal together. During our family 4th of July celebrations, every other activity was stopped when it was time for us to eat. Everyone would gather together, come out of the woods, come out of the lake, get together at the cabin to share in that meal together. It was a reminder that we are all together in love when we all come together for this meal, as we will also do shortly here for communion, it helps remind us that we are all connected to one another. And we all receive this love from God that sets us free through faith. So we get to rejoice in that freedom. And that is why inviting and opening up the table for communion is something that Christ took very seriously. For this meal as Christians, it is meant to be open up to everyone, and that is so important. 
So if you're watching online, I invite you to gather your communion supplies, your bread, your wine, your grape juice, whatever it is, as we move into this time to communion, where we get to share together in this freedom of Christ that was given to all of us. No matter where we are, we get to experience this freedom because it is given to all of us through Christ. And Christ made sure that everyone was included in this meal. For on that night in which he was betrayed, he even shared in that meal with the one who was going to betray him because he wanted to make sure that, yes, no one could be excluded. So on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. He broke it and gave thanks and for his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again after supper, he took the cup. He poured it out for all the drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to stand as we say our table grace together, the Lord's Prayer. The words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I invite you wherever you are, if you're joining us online or here in person, you can take that cellophane wrapper if you're here in person off that communion kit. The body of Christ given for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good, that his love will never end for you. Amen. Let us continue with worship.